If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me, please, to the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians. And as you're turning to that reference, we'd like to also welcome our internet audience to this service today. Again, we're so thankful that God has made it possible through modern technology for us to go into all the world and preach the gospel from this particular auditorium every Sunday. And there are people all over the world who do listen and some have no other means of hearing the gospel than by means of technology. So we thank God for our radio and for our uh, our listening audience today, our internet audience. Now, if you're here today for the first time, and uh, let me say this, this is to help you understand me as I try to preach. I preach from the King James Version of the Bible. Now, if you have another version or another translation you're using, you're not going to know a thing in the world what I'm saying. I do believe that people ought to be on the same page if they possibly can. But nonetheless, I'm not going to rebuke you for that, at least not right now, maybe a little later on, but not anymore. I want you to follow along closely with the message today. There's nothing wrong with taking notes. All of our sermons are recorded. Sermon Audio has provided a beneficial service of recording all of our sermons and can be secured by means of Internet. But uh, when you're in the service live, as we are today, it would be good for you to have access to taking notes down and jotting notes and jotting references. Some of the references I will uh, perhaps have you turn with me to, but some I will refer to. And the ones I refer to are just as important as the ones you turn to. Now, in Ephesians chapter number 6 beginning with verse 13 and reading through verse number 20. The Bible says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly, to make known the mystery of the gospel. This is the only place in the Bible, as far as I know, where the title of the message today is recorded in the text. And that text is found in verse number 19. 
And for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. You won't find it anywhere else in the Bible. The mystery of the gospel. And that's what I would like to preach to you about this morning. The mystery of the gospel. The context speaks of the warfare that exists between the believer and the forces of evil. And the Christian is exhorted to put on the whole armor of God. He uses that terminology in verse 11. Put on, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So because of this conflict And we don't have to wait for the evil day to come that Paul speaks of. It's already here. And we're to put on the whole armor of God to stand against that conflict. The pieces of the armor are listed. And there are six of them. Not seven. Not eight. But six. And the reason for that being that six is the Hebrew number for man. Man was created on the sixth day. It speaks of coming one short of seven, which is God's number of perfection. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're in the sixth number here. And here is some armor that we are to put on. We're to exercise human responsibility. There are some things, my dear friends, that God and God alone does for the believer. But there are some things that we have a responsibility of responding to and doing as we know what God's will is for our life. And so we're to put on the whole armor of God. Let me say this to you. If you don't put it on, you're not going to have it. God's not going to put it on for you. You say, well, I just feel so defeated. Every time I turn around, the devil is just giving me fits. Put on! Put it on! Put on the whole armor of God. I said there's six pieces listed. There's the girdle of truth. There's the breastplate of righteousness. There are the shoes of peace. There is the shield of faith. There is the helmet of salvation and there is the sword of the Spirit. And the Lord says once you put it on, there are three things you need to do after putting this armor on. Number one, the believer is to pray. Notice verse 18, praying always with prayer and supplication. Second of all, the believer is to watch. Be aware of what's going on. Don't get so drunk on the flavor of the age that you forget who you are and what we're supposed to be doing. Watch. And thirdly, the believer is to persevere. You find those in verse number 18. We have a tendency sometimes to close this passage a little too early. We stop with verse number 18, but it does not stop there. Notice Paul is telling the Ephesian believers there to pray for all the saints. 
That's found in verse 18, but it doesn't stop. Let's connect it with verse 19. And supplication for all saints and for me. Don't forget to pray for me. Paul is addressing the church at Ephesus. He said, spend all the time you want to praying for others, but pray for me. Don't forget to pray for me. Now, what Paul does not request prayer for. Pray for me, but there are some things that Paul does not ask for people to pray for him about. These things were not on his prayer list. Number one, he does not pray that people would stop throwing stones at him. Now, I'm sure he got tired of that, especially at Lystra, when they got so angry at Paul that they took up rocks and threw at him and hit him all over his body. He dropped to the ground. He was motionless, and they thought he was dead. But he doesn't pray You folk need to pray they'll stop throwing stones at me. Second of all, another thing that was not on his prayer list is that Paul would be delivered from trouble and hard times. Speaking to the church at Ephesus, he could have said, Oh, you just don't know how hard it is for me. And I'm having such a difficult time. I want you all to pray for me during my times. He didn't pray for that. Didn't want them to pray about it either. You know, hard times and Paul went together. Wherever Paul went, there was either a revival or a riot. Most of the time, it was a riot. Take a moment to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 23. Paul says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I'm more in labors, more abundant in stripes, above measure, in prisons, more frequent in deaths often. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Three times was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things which are without, that cometh upon me daily the care of all the churches. Surely you'd think somebody's having a difficult time as Paul was. He'd say, somebody needs to pray for my hard times. But he didn't put that on his prayer list. Another thing that Paul did not have on his prayer list that somebody out there might send some love offerings his way. Now, the reason he did that, or perhaps maybe just left that out, did you know that Paul, as far as I know, was a bivocational preacher? 
The reason he was bivocational is because no church would support him. And he had to mend tents and work with tents. He had a skill to do that. And he did that to earn enough money to eat off of. But isn't that strange? He never said, I wish somebody would send me a few dollars. Another thing that he is not on Paul's prayer list is that the world would treat him with more respect. I just don't get enough respect. People talking about me and lying about me, but he doesn't say pray for that. You see, in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, Paul said, I am the least of the apostles. The least of the apostles that I'm not meet to be even called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Well, so much for what Paul did not pray for, nor ask prayer for. Let's look at what he did request. He prayed, number one, for utterance. Do you see that? In verse 19, you're praying for the supplication of all saints, And you pray for me, why, Paul, that utterance may be given unto me. That little English word, utterance, comes from a Greek word, L-O-G-O-S, logos, that I might have God's message and God's word that I might not give myself to preaching what I think and give out the opinions of the people and the perceptions of the so-called wise people of his day and time, but that I might know the word of God, the Logos. That's a very important thing. Only preachers, I believe, only preachers know this, especially those who are given to preaching the Word of God. The Bible is God's blessed Word. Preaching is not an easy thing. I've had so many people during the last 60, I don't know how long I've been preaching, honey. 69 years, 67 years ago when I started preaching. They'd come to me and say, Brother Cozart, I tell you what, I'd like to be like one of you preachers. Y'all just have it so easy, har, har, har. Well, why don't you try it, har, 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 and see how you make out with it, day after day, month after month. You can stand in the pulpit sometimes, having prepared, Brother Phil, having prepared the best you know how to prepare, and it looks like that when we speak, it just, it just a flop. It's, it doesn't have a ring to it. It doesn't have a power with it. And then, however, there are times maybe because of circumstances and extremely busy schedules, we were not able to prepare as much as we would like and we entered the pulpit at the same time saying, Oh God, if you ever prayed for anybody, help me, Lord, in my hour of need. And all of a sudden, it's almost like getting struck with lightning. There's a power that's generated and all of a sudden the words begin to come out. Words you hadn't even planned on speaking. God was in it, and God was giving his logos. We need preachers today that have the utterance of God on their ministry. This is what God's word says, and that's what he's praying for, that God would give me utterance. 
Second of all, he would give me boldness to open my mouth boldly. They were to pray that Paul would never compromise the truth or try to please the people. Just get up there and preach. And thirdly, that I would have, as Paul would say, the ability to make known the mystery of the gospel. That when I stand and preach, God would give me the ability to make known the preaching about the mystery of the gospel. There are many mysteries mentioned in the New Testament if you're a Bible student. Number one, for instance, there's the mystery of God's kingdom. You can jot these references down. I will read the one that pertains to what I'm saying. The mystery of God's kingdom. Mark chapter 4, verse number 11. The Lord Jesus said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4, He talks about the mystery of Christ, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Number three, he talks about the mystery of the church. Ephesians 5.32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He talks about the mystery of Israel's blindness, even their blindness today in Romans 11.25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, that blindness in part is happened unto Israel until the times of the Gentiles be come in. And then there's the mystery of iniquity. In first, second Thessalonians 2, verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. And here we have in our text the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. The meaning of the term mystery. The Greek word is mysterion. Mysterion. Coming from a root word meaning to shut the mouth. It means secrecy. Secrecy. It does not mean something which cannot be known. That's how we would interpret it today. We say, oh boy, that's a mystery. Nobody understands that. That's a mystery. No, in the Bible, that term mysterion does not refer to something that cannot be known, but rather that which has not yet been revealed and you come into it at a later time thought it was quite interesting and I share this with you the Greeks used it in their idolatrous temple worship services there was an image placed in front of the temple with a finger over his mouth just like that to remind the worshipers not to tell anybody what went on in the temple. Only those inside knew what the secrets were. But those on the outside, it was a mystery 
It was a secret. You know, we may have gotten our sign from that. You don't hear too much of that anymore, do you? It was also used by fraternal organizations concerning secrets which only the members knew and were not allowed to tell anybody. Best example I know of that currently would be the Masonic Lodge. It's a group of people. They know a lot of stuff. You're dumb. You don't know anything. And the only way you can ever learn anything is by becoming a member of that group. That's the word mystery. It was a secret. It was a secret. Now, it was used in the Bible and is so used in an evil sense. Not always, but it is sometimes used as an, in an evil sense. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says the mystery of iniquity doth already work. The secrecy, the secrecy of iniquity doth already work. Let me give you a a couple of illustrations. I know they're trite and they're light and they really don't have a whole lot of force. But from a simple standpoint, for instance, homosexuality produces AIDS. And taxpayers are to give money to cure it. Now that's a mystery to me. It's like spending all your time knocking down cobwebs and you ought to be killing some spiders. Are you with me? Huh? You can go and drink whiskey all you want to. Oh, boy, that's good. Just don't drive and drink. Now, that's a mystery. I mean, if everybody ought to drink it, don't tell them they can't drink it. That's a mystery. Now, the church knows little of this mystery because she's on the outside and does not belong to it. That is, the church does not know much about the mystery of iniquity because God has delivered us from that. We don't live with that anymore. At least as God's people, we ought not to live with that anymore. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. That which we know, however, is limited And there's so much evil in the present hour in which we live, we can scarce take it in. But we only know a surface of it. It's a secret. There's some of it we're not told all about it. And it's better for us to not know about it. But how much deeper does it go than what you read about it? How much deeper does it go than what you hear on television? about it. It's the mystery. It's the secrecy of iniquity. And once in a while you'll hear somebody with popcorn for brains get up and say, oh, everything's just getting better and better. You crazies alone. The Bible says in latter days things will get worse and worse and worse. It's a secret. And if it be a secret, my, could we take it? if we knew the reality of it in its fullness. Now the word mystery is also used in a good sense. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 
Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Isn't that good news? And we believe that because the Bible teaches it. The world can't know that. And the world does not know that. It's a mystery. It is a secret. But the church is very knowledgeable about all of this because, thank God, we're a part of it. And every day we live, we learn a little bit more about the mysteries of God, the secrets of God. Why is the gospel a mystery? Why is it a mystery? Because it is known only by divine revelation. Now, if you think for one moment that all you've got to do is have a pretty good IQ and you can just read the Bible and you know all there is to know about it, you're crazy. You're crazy. Let me challenge you to not now, but when you get home, read Genesis 3.15. That's the first time the gospel was ever preached and God preached it to the devil in the Garden of Eden. And when you read it, you tell me how much about that you understand. Oh, I know all about No, you don't. Genesis 3.15. It was a secret. It was a secret. And it can only be known by divine revelation. And might I say, this goes beyond celebrating Christmas. My dear friends, if all you can think about, about Jesus Christ, he came in a little bit of time at Davy and had little gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and a hoop-dee-dotty-doo-dee-doo-dee. You know nothing about the gospel. You say, Brother Kozart, I don't like you. Fine. I'm not running a popularity contest. Because it is known only by divine revelation. The plan of salvation is God's plan of salvation and not man's plan. It originated in the mind of God and man could have never in a million years come up with it. You think about the depth. It has no height. It has no depth. It has no breadth. It's beyond our mind. Bildad, he lived maybe a thousand years ago. He was one of Job's so-called enemy friends. And in Job 25 verse 4, Bildad raised a very important question. He said, how then can a man be justified with God? And how can he be clean that's born of a woman? Secrecy. It's a secret. Almighty God laid out the architectural plan of redemption before the worlds were ever established. Not even the holy angels could figure it out. Even to this day, the angels are peering into it, trying to figure out the grace of God and the gospel of salvation. And had it not been given to us, the scriptures, had it not been given scriptures to us, it would still be a mystery today. Romans 16, 25. 
Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. But now, guess what? It's manifest by the scriptures and the prophets. Been a secret all this time. A mystery. Men search out truths in medicine and science every day. But no man could have ever figured out the plan of salvation and the way of salvation from sin. Who would have ever thought that this little baby Jesus, born in a stable of animals, brought up under the supervision of a common carpenter, and would at last die on a cursed cross as a criminal between two thieves, was none other than God incarnate who came to this world to die and save sinners. Who would have ever figured that one out? What a mystery. What a mystery. It is a mystery in regard to the small number of those to whom it is revealed. I say this. And I believe this because the scripture teaches it over and over again. You'll never know it till God reveals it to you. And when God reveals it to some, you're going to say, you know what, they're crazy to believe that stuff. I don't serve a God like that. You mean God did this and God did... You can't know it till it's revealed to you. You say, well, now, how do I go about getting it revealed to me? My dear friends, it's called the object of grace. It is a mystery in regard to the small number of those to whom it is revealed. Secrets are whispered into the ears of a few, but not many. If somebody says, I have a secret and I want to tell you, they don't pull out a bullhorn. Okay? They don't get up before a microphone. No, no. Mysterion. Secrets are whispered into the ears of a few, but not too many. You've you got to listen to what I'm saying. Matthew seven fourteen. Narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Mark 4, verses 11 and 12. He said unto them, unto you... It is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Why did Christ teach so many parables? That seeing, they might see and not perceive. And hearing, they might hear and not understand. You mean God? In the Son of God, the Lord Jesus spoke parables to keep some people in darkness about truth. Absolutely. As well as to reveal it to some, he whispered it. Now, you're having a hard time with this, I can tell. The grimace on your face. You're having a hard time with it. We're not through yet, just getting started. 
One reason, let me give, i tell you what, let me give you a simple one. Turn to John chapter 3, the Gospel of John chapter 3, okay? And it has to do with Nicodemus, John chapter number 3. Please look at chapter 3, verse number 3. Jesus answered and said unto Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Didn't say he'd get a casual glance of it, said he can't see it. And that word see there is the word perceive. He cannot understand until he's born again. And when he's born again, then he understands. Look at verse number 8. Christ is still speaking to Nicodemus. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said, I got it. Boy, I'm so glad you put it. No, he did not. Nicodemus answered and said, how can these things be? I don't understand. You know why? Because it's a secret. It's a secret, but it has pleased God, our Heavenly Father, to reveal it unto some and pass by others. Amen. Amen. One reason our Lord spoke in parables was to reveal the truth to some and conceal it unto others. Unto you, he said, it is given. Who are these you people, by the way, that he's speaking to? Unto you, it is given. Who was he talking about? Everybody? No, no. To a select group, he wanted to know about the mystery of the gospel. Who were these people? Only a handful of disciples. The rest of the world was kept in ignorance. Years later, the gospel would be revealed to the Gentiles and many would be saved. Yet even today, the number is so few, most of the world still has no concept of the true gospel because it's a secret. God's secret. It is a mystery in regard to the kind of men to whom it is revealed. Does it, is, is it revealed to everybody? No, it is not. Well, what kind of people to whom is, is it revealed? 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27. For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world, to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And precious verse, Matthew eleven twenty five. at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Why is he thanking the Lord? Why, why? Because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and hast revealed them unto the little babies. Do you believe that? Now, if you don't, throw your Bible away. That's right. 
If you, you, you say, well, I just don't believe that part of the Bible, there might be some other parts of it you don't believe also. Because people get so wise today. They're trying to improve on God. And, oh, they boy, they can't read the King James Version. You don't have any trouble with Shakespeare, do you? It's never been translated into English, proper English. Are we together? Why you say, well, we've got to have different translations. That's what we know. Read this one. Read this one. The Lord Jesus passed by the educated and proud Pharisees to preach the gospel to the despised publicans. Herod sought to see Christ, but got nothing from him when our Lord stood in his presence. Whereas the adulterous woman at Jacob's well drank from the water that would quench her thirst forever. Pilate got nothing from Christ when he sat on the judgment seat to judge him. Yet a sin and guilt laden thief on the cross had his sins forgiven and promised over paradise to be with Christ. Oh, by the way. We see devout and moral women are passed by while harlots and publicans go into heaven before they do. Read it. My dear friend today, it was to you, if you've, if you've seen the truth of the gospel, it was to you that our God was pleased to reveal this blessed mystery of the gospel. He passed by others to tell you the secret. That's God's business. And it's God's sovereign right. He's the creator. And we're the creature. And there's none that seeketh after God. No, not one. If God does not interrupt our lives, we'll never be saved. The gospel is a mystery because of the different results it has on the hearts of men. Different results it has on the hearts of men. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 15 through 16. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are a savor of death unto death, and to the other a savor of life unto life. Who is sufficient for these things? The same gospel that saves also damns. Huh? Same gospel that saves. Also, that damns. The eyes of some it opens, while the others it closes. Some rejoice when the gospel is preached, while others yawn and sleep. It's a secret. In Acts chapter 17, verses 31 through 34, I'll give you a moment there. Acts 
17, verses 31 through 34. Notice carefully. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. May I call to your attention the verse just prior to verse 31 is verse 30. At the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Why? I wrote the why in there. Why? Why should we repent? Then the answer, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, M-O-C-K-E-D, some mocked. Others said, well, we'll hear thee again on this matter. They weren't quite sure. Got a little of it. Well, let's talk about it a little bit more. So Paul departed from among them. Why would he leave? That's a red hot audience there. And some said, we're not through with you, Paul. We want you to tell us more now. And Paul walked away. My, my. Do you know, why, why would a preacher, when it looks like the congregation is with him and they want to know more, just say, well, that's it. See you next week. Why would you do that? Because God Almighty, and Paul knew this about God, if a sinner's eyes is ever open, God's got to do it. The preacher can't do it. Cannot do it. Paul walked away from it. Howbeit, certain men clave. That's a good word. C-L-A-V-E, clave. Howbeit, certain men clave unto him and believed. That word clave comes from a Greek word meaning glue. They stuck with him. <laughs> they said, boy, we never heard it like this before. This is good. This is wonderful. It magnifies God and depreciates man. And among them who believed was Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Did they all believe? No, they did not, because they didn't understand it. Who is sufficient for these things? Who can understand this mystery of the gospel? I would conclude with a verse in 1 Corinthians 1.18 where the scripture is very clear as it is in most places. <laughs> it's clearer than what we want it to be. You'll get that after a while. For the preaching of the gospel is to them that perish foolishness. Now the reason it's foolishness is because they cannot understand it. It doesn't register. Because it is a mystery, they just don't understand it. The same verse concludes it this way, but the preaching of the cross to those who are saved, it is the power of God. Why is that so? Because it was revealed 
Oh, my, my, my. The earlier part of my ministry, I spent so much time not only believing but preaching that God wants to save everybody and he's done all he can do. And there's nothing left for you to do, but if you'll take the first step, Jesus will take the rest of the step. That's the biggest bunch of baloney that ever was. I'm here to tell you that God one day opened my eyes after I had been preaching a number of years and showed me a passage of Scripture that Jesus Christ said, I lay down my life for the sheep. Didn't die for goats. No, he did not. He's not a goat herder. He's a shepherd of the flock of Jesus Christ. He laid down his life for the sheep. And I'm here to tell you something. Every one of those sheep will be brought in through the revelation of the mystery of the gospel. That's why we don't have to in this church sing 15 stanzas of almost persuaded. Would you please let Jesus do something? He wants to save you so bad. I attempted an, attended another. I almost called the name of it. Boy, that's close. Here in Tyler, a Baptist church is having revival. I thought, well, praise God, we need revival. So I went over to get in on the revival. And he came into this closing part of his sermon. And he said, you know, poor Jesus, he wants to save you. And he's done so much. He said, I feel so sorry for Jesus. A Baptist preacher. That's not what your Bible says, ladies and gentlemen. Preaching of the cross is to them that are saved. It is the power of God. Because the secret of the gospel has been revealed unto us. My dear friend, today, I am and you are responsible for how we listen to the preaching of the gospel. If we believe that Christ died for sinners and we're willing that he took our place on Calvary's cross and paid a debt we could never pay and we trust him with all of our heart, we can be saved. Yes, we can. That's a part of the gospel. However, if you turn your back on this, you'll be damned. Another way of saying that is this. There's no hope but Christ. Only the Lord Jesus Christ. And I trust today, if for no other reason, that it might provoke you to study the scriptures and see what the mystery of the gospel is. God's the author of it. Put it together before you and I were ever made, before the worlds were ever created, and down through the eons of time, since that point in time began, a few have believed it here, and a few have believed it there, and a few have believed it, because God has revealed it. It's the secrecy, the secrecy, the mystery of the gospel. Let's stand, please, for prayer.